0: Amen. Hey, you guys and go be seated. <clears throat> hey, if you're, if you're with us here for the first time, know that uh, we're glad you're here. Um, over the past, past few weeks, we've been kind of dripping some of the things, some of our DNA, some of our core values, and some of our vision about just who we are as a church and what we do. Um, one of the things that's essential for us that I believe makes us you know unique as a church body um, is, is specifically that we're gospel-centered. Um what that means is that everything we do is fueled by the gospel. And I'm not talking about like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the books of the Bible. Uh, we're talking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. The message of Jesus, you know, it changes everything we do. The gospel, it saves us, it changes us, and it sustains us. Um, and you know, this, this gospel, the hope of the gospel, we always we say here often it's not a one-time event. You know, it's not a one-and-done thing. It's something that we need it. we need every day an ongoing thing that we need every day. We don't ever graduate from the gospel. We need the gospel. Uh, we dive deeper into the gospel. So every week we try to make the gospel very clear here, um, and so we look through every single passage through the lens of the gospel. With that said, we're in 2 Timothy. Uh, we've been marching through 2 Timothy, uh, and you know, it's a letter written by Paul to a young guy named Timothy. Uh, Paul was in prison. He was about to die for his faith, and this, uh, this letter was Paul's parting words to timid Timothy. You know, he's reminding him, he's reminding Timothy to stand firm, uh, to suffer well for the gospel, to seek to multiply yourself, reminding us that discipleship matters, that teaching others matters. And then last week, the very first thing that we saw, the very first thing that Timothy, uh, he told Timothy in the response to the gospel, in regards to watching his life, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, watch your words. Right, he tells us to watch our words. Be careful with your words. And it was all seen in the context of the good worker and the bad worker. So, you know, last week it was, it was round one of our great showdown. So this week it's round two. Now, however, it's a little dip- different. Instead of the good worker and the bad worker, we've got the honorable worker and the dishonorable worker. Uh, and When I think of honorable, right, when I think of what is honorable, we often think of things like war heroes. Um, people who have sacrificed for their country, those that sacrificed their life or freedom or for others. Or we think of things like honorable kings or leaders uh, that are constantly thinking about the good of their people. Or we think about just generally showing honor to others. You know, it, um, you know my grandmother, uh, when I was growing up, she taught an etiquette class. And I went about eight times. Um, apparently, I needed a lot of help. There were about 10 to 20 kids that would come over to her house every week or every day during this week-long camp. We would learn how to like answer the phone, or how to open the door for a lady, or we, we would learn proper table manners or how to set the table. You know, like the fork goes on the napkin over to the left, right? The the knife. Or the smallest fork goes on the outside, the biggest fork on the inside, the knife is on the right, pointed inward towards the plate. You've got the, the spoon to the right of the knife, the dessert fork at the top, the cup at the top of the plate, the vertical, the knife and the spoon. And then the salt and pepper, you know, it always stays together. You never separate the salt and pepper. That's rude, apparently. Um, you know, we learn how to eat soup properly, right? It's like the, the, the ship goes out to sea and then it comes back to me. That's the way you're supposed to eat soup. Right, you don't you don't stab your vegetables with a fork. You scoop it with a uh, you scoop it with your fork using your knife and bread, not your fingers. Apparently, that's rude. Uh, but there are a few things that we learned specifically about how to show honor to your guest. And you would always uh, you'd always let the ladies and the guests eat first. Uh, you wait uh, for your guests to sit down, and then you sit down after them. Right? That's just kind of. Uh, respect, and then on special on special occasions, you bring out the fine china, the fancy plates and the fancy cups, the fancy silverware. You know, everything went in fancy serving bowls, uh, fancy platters. You know, the the water it was served in fancy pitchers. Uh, butter uh, had a special plate with a special knife. The bread came in a fancy basket with a cloth around uh, the bread. And for crying out loud, there were special utensils for the ice cubes. I just thought this was fancy. Um, And we can't forget that you can't blow out the candles on the table. You have to have a special tool. Because apparently blowing out the candles with your mouth is rude. So it's poor etiquette. So with that said, if you come over to our house and we hand you a paper plate, don't think that we don't honor you. We're just part of the family. Uh, Feel like part of the family. On the other hand, if you come over to our house... Uh, and we bring out special platters, you should feel honored, right? And special. Because if it were up to me, uh, those platters would never come out because they're a huge pain to wash. Let's be honest there. But my wife, she's a little bit more hospitable than me. So she wants you to feel special. So she brings them out. And that's similar to what we've got going on in our passage for today. There's certain vessels and there's certain bowls that show honor and some that show dishonor, uh, or they're just more ordinary. So, with that said, follow along with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20. This is what it says Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and there may come in their senses an escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So in verse twenty and twenty-one, there is an illusion, there's an illustration of a big house. And inside the house there are different type of vessels or bowls. And they've got some of these bowls that are for honorable use and some for dishonorable. And so you can also, like I said earlier, we can think of them as fine china versus uh, paper plates. We use the fine china for special occasions, for special guests, for holidays, and it often gets put out and displayed as a decorative plate. And I would generally like to say that uh, we don't decorate our house with paper plates, but I've got small kids, so um, there's that. But what, what do we do with paper plates? we throw them away, right? We use them, we get rid of them, and then they become dishonorable going into the trash can. So that's the idea here. We celebrate one, we clean it, we reuse it, and it's once again considered useful. The other, however, we discard and we get rid of because it's now dirty. It's become not useful to the master. So the idea of the house, the honorable vessel and the dishonorable vessel... So if if you're completely lost here, right? Paul, he's using an analogy, an illustration to speak of the church. The church, the body of Christ, is often referred to as a house, and the vessels are the people in the house, the people in the church. So throughout throughout Scripture, God's people were referenced as vessels because the Holy Spirit God dwells inside of us, so we're either a useful vessel or not useful, right? We're either an honorable vessel or we're a dishonorable vessel. So the question we have to answer today is, what makes the Christian continually useful, right? What makes the Christian honorable? And then also, the flip side of that, what makes the Christian dishonorable or not useful? So what we'll see today is that the way we live our life, what we do, how we live, it makes us honorable or dishonorable. So with that said, the main, our main point today is, Christian, watch your life. Christian, watch your life. Because without a, without a doubt, the way we live our lives, it matters. How we spend our time, how we interact with others, how we lead and teach others, what we do when nobody else is watching. Right? It all matters. All right, we're going we're gonna to outline our time similar to how we did it last week. And We're going to start with the bad and then come to the good. Uh, we're gonna, and then we're going to kind of look at it through the lens of the gospel. So here's our outline. Uh, first, we've got the dishonorable worker. Second, we've got the honorable worker. And then again, to spice it up like we did last week a little bit, we've got our special guest, the ultimate worker. So the idea of honorable worker versus dishonorable, there's a pretty extreme difference here we're going to see the great contrast of Christianity. So there's a high level of commitment. There's a high level of accountability, uh, responsibility, just with following Christ. The way we live our lives, without a doubt, it all matters. The way we live matters. So in a lot of ways, this passage, this is pointed to me as your pastor, as a pastor. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to be held accountable towards. This is a weighty calling, but this is not just me. As Christians, we should all be striving for this. This is something that every single person as a Christian, we should be growing towards. This is for all those who are serving the Lord, being used by God. And I would argue, as I said last week, that every person who's following Christ, this is for them. If we are a Christian here today, this is for you. So with that said, look at again with me at verses 20 and 22. I'm going to keep circling through this so we can kind of grasp what's going on here. We're going to keep reading it. So this is what Paul says. He, so he just kind of gave us that illustration of the honorable vessel and the dishonorable vessel. And this is what he's saying in response, right, starting in verse 22. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from their snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will." So Paul is drawing out of his illustration, right? He's, he's explaining his illustration. He's essentially saying, in light of the honorable vessel, you know, and not wanting to be the honorable, honorable vessel, what we just read, this is what we're to do, or this is what we're to not do. These things that we do, the way that we live our life, these are, these are the things that make us either honorable or dishonorable. So I want to draw out what comes as dishonorable uh, first in this passage. Paul says, specifically he says, Flee youthful passions. He says, flee youthful passions. And he also says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. And then he says, don't be quarrelsome, later later on in the text. So if you look back at verse 22, he says, flee, flee youthful passions. And then he says, pursue something else. So we flee, we run away from one thing, and we run... We pursue something else, right? Pursuing, it's done with intention. When you pursue a girl, right? When you pursue your wife, husbands, guys, we do it intentionally, right? We study her, we date her, right? We ask intentional questions. We want them to feel cared for because pursuit is not passive. Pursuit is active. So, amen? Can I get someone in the crowd to say amen? Thank you. So, Paul is saying we're to pursue something, right? But first, let's look at what we must flee. When we run away, what we run from, ultimately today we're going to see that we should flee from sin and run to Christ. We should flee from sin and run to Jesus. So, we want to be a people that hate our sin, right? We want to be a people that run from it. And we want to run full speed to the cross, not looking doubt, because without a doubt, as I've said many times already, the way we live our life matters. It It shows the direction in which we run. How we live our life shows the direction in which we run. So if we don't flee from our sin, if we're not running from our sin, then as our first point reminds us, if we're not running from this, we're, number one, we're the dishonorable worker. There are two things, specifically here, that he tells us to flee from. He tells us not to do, right? First, he says, flee youthful passions. And then he says, second, he says, have nothing to do with ignorant controversies, right? He says quarrels. Last week, we covered this idea of words, thinking about controversies and quarrels. So this week, we're gonna, uh, we'll point out this idea of fleeing youthful passions. Think about this, right? What, is, uh, what, is, what do young kids often talk about when they want something, right? They just take it. They just take it out of your hands. They just go grab it right out of their hands. So we have to continually remind them. If you don't just, we don't just take things from people, right? You have to ask nicely if you want something. We need to be patient. Every parent, every parent goes through this with our kids. Yet we often do the same thing as adults. We just do it a little more subtle. So that phrase, youthful passions, is something that we need to think about and understand because the phrase, it's, associated with the dishonorable worker. So I want to tread carefully here because I know we have young ears in our midst. Youthful passions in this passage is often associated with physical and lustful desires, sexual desires that are outside of God's design, but it's not only that, right? It breeds, it's more broad and it's more all-encompassing phrase. It covers physical passions and physical desires, but it also covers mental, passion, mental and emotional passions, It's like one of them might be being impatient, like having a I want it now attitude. That is a youthful passion or pride, right? Pride is a youthful passion that leads to arguing and boasting, always having to be right. Paul also mentions ignorant controversies here, talking about the way we speak, being argumentative, or how about this? Just being flat out mean, right? Paul says, he says, be kind to everyone. So don't be mean, right? Stop being mean. Kids can be so mean sometimes, right? Hitting and screaming and yelling, calling each other names, making fun of other kids. But adults, adults can be the same thing. We could do the exact same thing, just in more subtle and discreet ways. Because without a doubt, being mean is a youthful passion. This is a youthful passion, every single one of us. The eye of this idea of having a youthful passion, it can man man itself in different ways, specifically for me. This week, I've been thinking about this idea of youthful passions. And one on this list that has stood out for me specifically has been this idea of patience. This is such a good reminder. I need to hear this. right? Yes, we can, I, we can all grow in patience in a lot of different areas. But more, more so specifically for me, patience in ministry. And I was listening to a sermon this week um, about a pastor. who was speaking about being patient in ministry. And um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but we're trying to plant a church here. And, you know, it's not, it's not abnormal for us to want to see quick results and quick growth, right? In a lot of ways, we should be praying to see a movement of God, and we're doing that. We want to see someone, see God do something great. But We have to remember that it's hard work. It's labor, and it takes time, right? We have to remember this. And this, for me, probably more than anybody else here, we have, let's be patient for the Lord. Because this is, this is labor, right? This is hard work, and we have to wait on God to work. Right? We have to wait for the Lord. We can't forget this. Let's not, let's not miss what God wants to do in each of us, in each of our own lives, growing in our own lives. One of the greatest privileges in being part of a church plant is the opportunity to be stretched and to be grown. Right? God uh, grows us. God uses these, this, this season in our life to deepen us, to grow us, to deepen our well. And Remember this, a revival in the city starts with a revival in our heart. We've talked about that this summer. And a very subtle, youthful passion for us, or for me specifically, longing for the fruit of God over longing for God himself. Right? We have to keep asking ourselves, are we longing for the fruit of God over God himself? Are we longing for the fruit of God over, lo- over God himself? So I don't know what it is for you today. We can, all have, we can all fall into this trap of youthful passions, but we need to watch our lives and we need to flee from them. But there's something that I want to draw out here. On the flip side of this idea of youthful passions, something that's not in this text that we should all be running towards specifically. It it, it kind of contrasts youthful passions. So, one of the things that has always been so intriguing to me in one of Paul's letters, and another one of Paul's letters, and specifically in his letter to Titus, uh, Paul gives a lot of things to give. He gives a list of things for older women to teach to younger women. Um, he'd say things like, teach what is good, and teach them to love their husbands, and teach them to love their children, and teach them to be self-controlled, and pure, and kind. And, the, and then to the older men, he only says one thing. He says, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. Urge the men to be self-controlled. The women, they get a whole list, all equally important, but to the men, he only says one thing, be self-controlled. So, there aren't a lot of commentators that have said this. This is just my speculation. I think Paul knew that women could handle multiple things at once, and us guys, we just need one thing. We can only handle one thing at a time. Uh, maybe I shouldn't speak for uh, all guys here. It may just be me, but when Kelly paints, uh, she can paint, she can sing, she cooks, disciplines the kids, interacts with the kids all at the same time. Right? She's doing all of this at once. When I cook, that's about all I can do right? <laughs> Complete chaos is breaking out around the house. Things are baking. Kids are screaming. And you, but you better believe that that omelet is going to be really good, right? That omelet, mm, I'm dialed in. I'm focused on the task at hand, right? So we, we focus on one thing, but that, so regardless of what, what, why he said this, right? That might not be why he said that. It's probably not, but he gets his point across. That's clearly what he wanted them to remember. Young men, fight for self-control. Young men, fight for self-control. Flee youthful passions. And apart from, my, apart from my son's salvation, this is what I pray for him more than anything else, right? Be, self, be self-control. Let's practice self-control. And Remember what Paul said back in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He said, the Spirit of God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power and love and what? Self-control right? Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. So, brother and sister, we must flee youthful passions, physical passions, impatience, pride, arguing, being mean, belittling others. This is so important. We need to protect our hearts. We need to protect our eyes. We need to protect our minds, our tongue. We need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Brother and sister, it's clear. Our youthful youthful passions, impatience, fleshly desires, anger, putting others down, frivolous spending, whatever it is, God equates these things as dishonorable. They're dishonorable. You don't have they don't give honor to the Lord. If we're callous towards these things, specifically we've got a problem. we're, we're, We're being callous to the Spirit of God working in our heart, in our life. And let's not forget, we're called to run from these things. We run from them. We don't run, we don't run without a direction. We don't run aimlessly. We're aiming at something. We flee one thing. We flee these things we've just talked about, and we run towards something else. There's a different direction. There's a different vision. So what what often happens is that we we try to just slowly walk away from youthful passions, kind of like a slow tiptoe, a hesitant tiptoe, but constantly looking over our shoulders, kind of looking back, thinking, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We start to justify it. And the next thing you know, we return to it. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 11, when we do this, it says we're like a dog returning to its vomit. <laughs> right? A dog returning to its vomit. That's not good. Right? We want to run from it. Paul urges us, flee from youthful passions. Run from them. And don't look back. One of the worst things that a sprinter can do is to look back sprinters and runners like you look ahead you keep your eye on the task ahead you don't look back you don't look left you don't look right you look straight ahead you run hard in a direction and that's what we're to do we run hard in a direction we run hard to the lord and this is this is what is useful to god that leads us to our second point the honorable worker this is what we're to run towards this is our new direction so we've got the honorable worker the honorable worker they know what they're doing right they know where they're going they, they know how to live their life. Like, they know not to be mean, not to be callous, not being prideful, right? showing humility and being patient. They know, we, the, the, they know what to do and what not to do. The honorable worker looks very different than the dishonorable worker. There's evidence that God is working in their life. There's evidence that God is changing them. That they're going in a new direction. So we talked about this last week. Our actions, the way we live the way we speak and interact with others and about others is the evidence of God working in our life. You could say it this way, our actions and our words, they reveal what we believe. Our actions and our words reveal what we believe. There are external behaviors. They reveal, our actions reveal what's going on inside of us, right? They reveal what's going on inside of our heart and soul. But you know what else is true? People, people can only put on a show for so long uh, because what we do in private, the things we think about, the mean thoughts, they show our true character. The closer we get to someone, often what happens, the more we see their true colors and the way we talk about others, right? the way we talk about our close friends, the way we treat our spouse, the way we speak to our family members, the way we act under stress. This is what happens. This is when we start to see people's true colors. And let's read this same passage again, but we're going to look through the lens of what to pursue, okay? We're going to, we're going to circle it again. Paul says in verse 22, follow along, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue, he says, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, opponents with what gentleness. That's what he says. He says, pursues righteousness, faith, love, peace. Be kind to everyone, able to, to teach, patiently enduring evil, and correct with general with, with gentleness. So that's quite the list. That's the standard, right? That's the target. That's where we're trying to go towards. So I'm going to say the same thing I just said. I'm just going to say it in a different way. We, what comes out of us is evidence of what's inside of us. It's what's in us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what do our words and our actions, what do they say about what's inside of us? Are we portraying hate or are we portraying kindness? Are we tearing others down or are we building them up? Are we being impatient or are we showing patience? Right? This, this like stings. This is really hard to hear. But are, we, are we pursuing what is good or what is righteous or are we pursuing the things of the world? Just think about the things that can consume our mind. Just like, are we more consumed with our bank account, the next purchase? Are we consumed with our physical appearance? Are we consumed with how others perceive us? Or are we consumed with seeking righteousness? righteousness, it can be such an ambiguous term. and something that's kind of hard to grasp oftentimes and is birthed out of the idea of, of seeking what is right by our actions specifically. But it's not only that. It's far more than that. One pastor said it this way. He said, righteousness is the unwavering faithfulness to uphold the glory of God. So using this idea, when Paul tells us to pursue righteousness, he's telling us, He's telling us to uphold the glory of God. He's telling us to uphold the majesty of God, the splendor of God, so we have to ask the question, if someone were looking into our life, would they be able to say to you, would they be able to say to me, hey brother, sister, your life, it's upholding the glory of God. When we look at each other, our lives, we wanna say, brother, sister, I see God working in you. Your life portrays the unmistakable glory of God. And it is clear and it is evident just by the way you speak and the way you live and the way you interact with others, the way you talk about others, the way you encourage others. We want to be able to to say this to each other. This is what we long for. New City Church, the Bible is clear. We have a high calling on our lives, a high standard to live up to. If we call ourselves followers of Christ, let's pursue righteousness and display God's glory. Let's let's just kind of look through this list a little bit. He says, pursue faith. Don't pursue doubt, pursue faith. He says, pursue love, not hate. Don't be mean, don't bring bring others down. Paul says, he says, pursue peace. Don't pursue fear. Now, I don't know what this looks like for you, specifically. Maybe maybe we need to pursue peace with a person. Maybe that's what he's calling us to today. Pursue peace with a person. Maybe, Maybe we need to pursue peace in our heart about a situation, about something we might be fearful of. Again, pursuing something, this takes action. We have to fight for it. We don't, we don't run towards fear. We run towards peace. We don't run towards strife. We run towards peace. We have to pray for peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you have a relationship that lacks peace, I'll say this. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You don't have to pray about this because God's Word already tells you what to do. He commands us. Pursue peace. Pursue peace. Pursue peace. You don't need to pray. You do need to pray, however, about what this looks like. How you pursue peace. The way in which we pursue peace. But it's clear, God says to us, pursue peace. Brother and sister, pursue peace. You know what's great about this? I love this. Look at the end of verse 22. At the, at the beginning, he says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then he says, I love this, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let that sit. He says, with those, pursue these things with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We don't pursue these things by ourselves. Right? We pursue these things with others. With other brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue righteousness. He says, pursue it with other brothers and sisters. Pursue faith with others. Don't show seeds of doubt with others. Show seeds of faith with others. We need to help each other, to build each other up. He says, pursue faith. Peace with others. If you're fearful, if you're anxious, one of the best things we need, one of, the be- one of the most important things we need is to put others around us who have, who can be persons of peace, right? Who can point us to Christ. Ultimately, that's Christ. But we need others around us who can point us to Christ. Right? If someone lacks peace with others, it's the responsibility of brothers, other of the brothers and sisters to encourage them to pursue peace. right? It's our responsibility to to help each other, to encourage each other, to build each other up to pursue peace. So without a doubt, Christianity, this is a community event. We cannot do this in isolation, right? We need good community. We don't need destructive community. And this passage is clear. It says, let's pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness. He says, pursue it together. This is so important. Our lives must reflect What we believe to be true. And this is where this gets really difficult. And this this is hard to hear. But but I think this is so important. We can't skip any part of the Bible. This is why expositional preaching is so important. And we have to deal with things that are hard to deal with in the Bible. We can't ignore them. this, This next part, this would be much easier for me to just ignore this part of the sermon. Because it's offensive. But I pray that we would receive this in love. These are not my words. These are God's words. If what we believe is true, if what the Bible says is true, then we need to address this. We can't have a pick-and-choose Christianity because God is God, right? It's not us. And logically, this wouldn't make sense if we skipped parts that were hard to hear. We would be playing the the role of God. So we must be consistent. So for every single person in this room, Christian or not Christian, this is the difference between being an honorable worker or a dishonorable worker being useful or not useful to the master. If we're following, if you're a follower of Christ, we should want to present ourselves as useful to the master. We should want to give our master honor. And this is evidence that God is working in your life. But look back at verse 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So here's the rub. All right. If we don't do these things, we're not considered useful to God. If we do them, we're considered useful. This is clear throughout the entire Bible. Being perfectly righteous, being perfectly loving, always having peace, perfect in all these things, that's the standard. That's what's required to be considered useful to God. If we're not useful to God, then what are we? Look back at verse 24 and 26. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. And this is the part that's so hard. The part that I want to point out. The part that we can't skip over or gloss over. It says, an escape from the snare of the devil. After being captured by him to do his will. This is so hard. This is so hard to hear. This is hard to grasp. And please, hear this in love. If we're not useful to God, if we're not honorable to God, what are we then? The Bible says, it's clear, it says we're under the snare of the devil. We're captured by the devil to do the devil's will. This is a very stark contrast here. Okay, this is what Paul is pointing out. We're either useful to God, again, this is hard, or we're captured by the devil. Think about that. When we don't live according to how God intends for us to live, we're not considered useful. We're dishonorable. Paul says we're captured by the devil to do the devil's will. That's what Paul's saying. That's when we're mean to others, when we speak poorly about others, when we're being impatient, when we seek youthful passions, brothers and sisters, this is hard to hear, but it's true. When we do these things, we're we're under the snare of the devil. Being doing the devil's will. This is not something that we should slowly tiptoe from. We should hate these things and run from them. We we know these things, but for some reason, yet we still continue to do them. Every day, we continue to mess up. This is an overbearing weight, right? This is this is a this load is heavy. This can be crushing. This feels hopeless. Brother and sister, we're not people without hope. The person who wrote this sentence, Paul, right, also felt the same way. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? Who, Who can uphold this? You see, there's a standard that absolutely must be upheld by God. To be presented to God is honorable. To be ultimately, to be in His presence. Because if God is good, if God is so great and so majestic, He demands perfection. He demands the perfection to be in His presence. But listen to what Paul says in verse twenty-one again. He says therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So how do we make ourselves honorable. Paul says we have to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, which is ultimately our sin. Today, every single one of us, we walked in here with baggage. Our lives somehow didn't match up with God's standard. We don't don't want to be mean, but we are. Maybe maybe we've spoken about someone, maybe we've yelled at someone, maybe we've lied to someone. I don't know what it is for you, but somehow, in some way, we have all messed up. But this is the beauty of the gospel. This is where we realize, I can't do this. I can't live up to this standard. I need someone else to do it for me. I need someone else to change me. Sometimes, so often, we're the dishonorable worker. But I'm thankful today but someone else came onto the scene. And that's where we get our third point. The ultimate worker came into the picture. And this is the gospel. God sent Jesus to be the only one who could be the perfect, honorable worker. We couldn't do it, but Jesus did it for us. Jesus came to earth, never had youthful passions, always pursued righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then he went to the cross to bear our sins, the sins of what the of the dishonorable worker, he took our quarreling, he took our unkindness, our mean words, our youthful desires, our impatience, our mean spirit. And listen to this, at the cross, Jesus took our label as the dishonorable worker and gave us his label as the honorable worker. Brother and sister, that's the gospel. We couldn't do it. We can't do it. Jesus did it for us. Listen, if you're not a Christian here today. My hope and my prayer is that we would realize, that you would understand the tragic nature nature of what comes with being the dishonorable worker. If you've ever had a lustful desire, if you've ever been mean, if you've ever told a lie, if you've ever been impatient, that's enough. That's enough for God to label us as the dishonorable worker. And we see from this passage, and believe me, this is just as hard for me to say as it is for you to hear. If we're considered the dishonorable worker, we're considered not useful to God and we're under the snare of the devil. The consequences of this are eternal. There is a forever separation from God, but what what the Bible says is true, and we believe that it is. I just look at the world. Something created the world. Good and evil exist. Something's not right. And God revealed himself to us at the cross. And I believe this is the only thing that makes sense. If all of this is true, the consequences of being the dishonorable worker, being separated from God, the consequences of this are tragic. If you're not a Christian, I plead with you, don't live in this weight. Trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus today. That's the only way. Hear hear this in love. This This is us caring for your soul. God desperately... This is such good news. God desperately wants to take you and present you as useful to the master. He wants to present you as useful to God. God takes us through Christ. And we're presented as honorable to God. Trust in Christ today. There is hope for you today. If you're a Christian here today, hear me on this. We need this. Flee youthful passions, hate your sin, avoid quarrels, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and be kind to everyone, patient, be gentle with others. And brother and sister, know this, you can't do this alone. At some point, you will fail. We need the power of Christ working in us. With that said, I want to close with this. I want to close with this. There's another story of vessels in the Bible, clay pots. This will be really quick, I promise. This is what it says in Jeremiah 18. Follow along with me. So the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is so good. Listen to this. Without a doubt, we are all broken vessels. We're spoiled clay. Just think about the past 24 hours. Mean comments, impatience, arguing. I don't know what it is for you, but the Bible is clear. Just one of them. It makes us dishonorable. We're, we're not people without hope. Although we're broken and dishonorable, if you, oh, this is such good news, if you are in Christ, if you follow Jesus through the daily hope of the gospel, we can rest in this. Every day we, we wake up. We see cracks in our life. We're vessels that keep chipping. We keep breaking. Our lives look as if they're broken, but we can know and trust. We're in the potter's hands, right? We're in the potter's hands. We're in our maker's hands. Every day we can rest knowing that we're, oh, that we're in the hands of the living God. We're in the hands of the living God. He's working us through Christ. He's changing us. He's molding us. Every day, through the power of Christ, he's, He mends our cracks through the power of the gospel, he fixes our chips and he works on our broken lives. And then we're presented to God as beautiful, as new, as honorable, as honorable vessels. That's the gospel. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the beauty of the gospel today. Rejoice in Christ today. We need this. The gospel should lead us to worship our maker. With that said, let's pray. Father, we... We come to you as dishonorable vessels. We come to you as those who are spoiled clay. But Father, through Christ, through the gospel, you make us new. You make us beautiful. You make us holy. You make us righteous. Father, we need Christ today. Father, every single one of us need the gospel today. Father, we pray that through the gospel, we would uh, be refreshed. We would find rest. Father, come and fill this place. We need you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.